Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. And like David had fell asleep, and I'm just you know just barely awake, still watching it, and like. Mank. Mank. Yeah. And like Scott took a picture and like fucking David's hand is down his pants or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he got, he went to sleep. I don't know, you know, a sleeping mind has a mind of its own. And so it was just a picture of me just like watching it, him with, you know, pretty good stuff. Nice. <laughs> pretty pornographic. <laughs> picture. Going full married with children mode. <laughs> he was just manking it. <laughs> I mean, so many hot dames that, you know, that's one of the. Hot twenties dames. That was Mank's downfall. <laughs> <laughs> that was Mank's. He got caught manking in his <laughs> office uh, uh, uh. He, with female <laughs> colleagues. He was. Uh... Welcome to Extended Clip. It's the penultimate episode and the final double feature, episode one hundred and thirty-six. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And our double feature this week, I decided that you know. Last week's episode had so much finality in the double feature. You know, death was a subject. And this time, I just wanted to do good movies. I just want, you know, like, we're not dying. We're not going away. But we might be going away. There are some women who are going away, such as all the women who have ever been on our show uh, will not appear on the show again. I mean, same with all the men, but, uh, you know. And they won't hang out with us anymore because <laughs> our, our cloud we don't is have gone. A podcast. Yeah, we don't have a podcast. No uh, girls will hang out with us anymore. But that's a sacrifice we're willing to make. But women going missing is at the core of our double feature this week. La Ventura, the 1960 film by Michelangelo Antonioni, and Gone Girl, the 2014 film by David Fincher, which has the great tagline of, you don't know what you've got till it's dot, dot, dot. <laughs> taglines are great yeah. i want to yeah. get into the business of writing taglines <laughs> so after good. that that's like a classic hollywood level tagline <laughs> you just gotta have fun with the title you know what i mean exactly. don't overthink it so la ventura uh you guys had seen this one before so if i malcolm if i remember correctly you said this was like early in your cinephilia maybe not a full attention span viewing. yeah 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 definitely like uh on my laptop Hulu running, you know what I mean? Maybe there's a little ad interruption or something going on. The and, glory days of Hulu Criterion. And uh, yeah, re- like rewatching it, like I, I, I it really emphasize, and I've had this with other movies too, it's like how much I paid attention in the first half and how much I did not in the second half because it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I remember this movie. And then it's like, it's like, oh yeah, this is probably when I stopped paying attention. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was, I mean, it's a masterpiece. It's a great movie. I'm glad I gave it my full and clear attention this time. <laughs> <laughs> JT, you had seen it before? Yeah. Well, I mean, I also had the half-baked watch experience of the folly of youth trying to tackle such great art. Damn, we were all getting just... so baked when we were teenagers, <laughs> yeah. and now we're clear-headed as ever. Well, I was stone sober when I watched this. I just... I just um, all I really remember, though, was them being like kind of at the beach by the rocks, mm. which is just like mm-hmm. very little of the movie. But I don't know. This chunk, time around, yeah. very good. It's a good chunk. And it was a good chunk of the production, too. I was reading that they intended to spend three weeks on those islands shooting. 
It ended up being four months of production, wow. which is fucking insane. He's going fucking Happy Madison mode, just yeah, taking vacations just, on his production. Dude, it is absolutely vacation mode on this movie. But, but he's like having like, you know, bad, unenjoyable vacations. That and existential rich, crises. It's like when rich people, like you go on that many vacations, like, damn, this is the bad one. This is the one that well, sucks. Well, I mean, you're on vacation all the time. True. Work is the real vacation. Which Damn. also relates to the Happy Madison mindset. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. We're covering a lot here. Yeah, I wasn't really thinking of that while watching, but now you know. Yeah, Antonioni's uh, exotic landscapes. You know, it can relate a lot to the the cinema of Adam Sandler and Co. Going to exotic <laughs> locales to shoot their movies on vacation. Although, sorry to completely derail, you know, of Sandler talk, but I guess that's fitting. But um, I guess I got inside info that like. Like the the lake in Grown Ups Two is fake. That was all in like a stu- like a soundstage or something like That's that. That's pretty cool. I know because like Sandler does not want to work in like hot conditions whatsoever. He's like he's like my fucking dad. Like he's like AC on the entire <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> time. Like he's the quote the quote was that he wouldn't work over any anything over seventy degrees. So it's a. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I actually got some uh, Sandman inside info this week at work as well. I mean, this is what we're doing. We're graduating from talking about films to being on the yeah. scene, baby. Because <laughs> uh, the Happy Madison offices used to be on the Sony lot. And apparently they had built a basketball court for him on the top floor of one of the parking structures. Oh, my God. And when uh, Happy Madison and Sandler himself had moved their offices, they tore down the basketball court. <laughs> wow. Uh, it was exclusively the Sandman uh, Hoop Central. Maybe that's why we see him out, you know, all those videos. Now he used to have his own private court, but now he's like, you know, go play some street ball. Yeah, exactly. Um, But anyway, back to La Ventura. Uh, I had actually seen this on a print at the Egyptian theater maybe four years ago. And it was the first uh, Antonioni film that I had seen. And I was just so taken with the imagery and the tone that he was able to create. And I was willing to admit that I didn't totally get the movie. But it was one that I like continued to think about over time, you know, watched a bunch more of his movies and then revisiting it this time from the first minute, I just knew I was in for an all time classic. If you don't know the setup of La Ventura, like many of his films, it is about, um, you know, the the stasis of life for the bourgeoisie, you know, the, the nothingness, the emptiness and uh, the plotlessness is informed by that. So we we see this group of uh, wealthy people on a yacht, you know, taking an excursion, going to some islands, and then ostensibly our lead couple, uh, Anna, played by Leah Massari, and Sandro, played by Gabrielle Ferzetti, um, are separated. You know, at first, Anna uh, just, like, jumps off the boat. She's just like, fuck this. You guys are being annoying. I'm just going to take a swim. And then while she's in the water, she pretends to see a shark and uh, gets everyone all freaked out that there's a shark. And that kind of informs, you know, the games that are played amongst these kind of people because she informs uh, the woman who kind of becomes the lead of the movie a few scenes later, uh, Claudia, played by Monica Vitti, that she had been lying about the shark attack. There was no shark. She's just fed up with the bourgeoisie lifestyle. You know, maybe why I didn't attach to this at first is kind of like its plotlessness. And there's some Antonioni movies that play around with this but like kind of like his major ones just seem to have a little bit more of that type of substance to them Mm -hmm. and like this is kind of like just pure like kind of like that like the ideas you know that are running through like kind of like his you know major 
uh, you know, big movies and, you know, I'm sure the small ones too, but like kind of like the ones he's known for, like Lenat and like uh, Red Desert, you know what I mean? And this one just is kind of like a, a distillation of kind of like the listlessness and kind of, you know, the meandering quality of, you know, kind of, yeah, this rich lifestyle and mm-hmm. like how empty it is. Because it is like... It, um, it's just it, it's really striking like how much this movie just kind of uh, just kind of moves forward, you know, kind of just sways forward rather than having some sort of like a uh, momentum to it. And I, I really admire it for it. Yeah, I mean, so even before they get on that boat, we have the reunion of Anna and Sandra. So I guess Sandra had been away on work for some time. And, you know, from the outset, you just know what kind of movie it's going to be when she just like doesn't want to reunite with her her fiance i guess uh she's just like i'm i'm gonna go get a coffee instead of meeting (laughs) up with my fiance and then he sees her out the window and then they go have what appears to be very passionless sex uh with the curtains you know he draws the curtains but not all the way and there's that amazing shot (laughs) where you see monica viti down on the street kind of looking up and uh it's just so good i don't know the the sense of eroticism in this movie is so like muted but mm-hmm. at the same time so deeply felt I, it's so weird what he's able to capture and like you know as the movie kind of progresses very like kind of random you know what i yeah. mean and like not like uh not even like that filled with like kind of like a deep meaning or like established connections just kind of like happening you know this is what we're supposed to do type of feeling to it and uh I think that while it, you know, it still has like kind of that intimate quality, it still kind of makes it, you know, not gross, but just gives it a, a, a cold feeling at the same time while, you know, indulging it a little bit. Yeah, it's like you can like tap into like that sort of powerful intimacy and emotional quality of it, but then just easily like sort of snap and recoil mm-hmm. back into like just, I don't know how listless and transactional like all of these like their relationships are and so anna then goes missing while they're on this island uh and you just have all these like crazy imposing rock formations and all oh, these yeah. crazy <laughs> weird shots of the islands and uh so she goes missing and we have this like mysterious music kind of swell up and they're like initially looking for her and it feels like okay this is like a, almost like a genre movie for a little while and then you realize that that's essentially what the rest of the movie is going to be and that mysterious music isn't really going to be there for much of it uh it is really just like the existentialism of searching for this woman who vanished and uh, it, it you could tell uh, what got in the way and how long they had to stay on the <laughs> island from these incredible scenes of just like people wandering around the island looking and the elements coming into play, you know, the wind bristling and all of these incredible shots that are just a combination of staging and camera placement and nature uh, coming into play that are just, I don't know, indescribable. No, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this kind of like motif of like waves going wind or you know even like i think the train kind of gets a a turn um later in the movie of kind of like this kind of constant kind of you know uh you know nature moving around them kind of like i don't know things advancing around them while they kind of just stay in like a listless haze kind Mm -hmm. of like half searching (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. for for anna and like I mean, the, the I love the very unique compositions Antonioni gets out of, like, this beach mountain and whatever. A lot of, like, uh, great shots of, like, um, you know, height differences, you know, 
made by the mountain you know someone's standing on one rock formation compared to another and like their heads kind of being in different places of the frame and really kind of uh, captures this kind of like uh, muted confusion that everyone seems to be feeling yeah and i think that like i don't know so much of the images like just showcase how huge the beauty of nature and everything around them is and kind of dwarfs their own like interpersonal experiences Mm -hmm. which i feel like matt like i don't know relates to just how wrapped up they become in their own sort of bullshit even as like because very early on the rest of their party sort of loses like interest Mm -hmm. in like anna's (laughs) disappearance um but then even like I mean, obviously, like, Monica Vitti's character and Sandro, like, fall for each other, and mm-hmm. they get wrapped up in their own, like, personal bullshit there. Yeah, I really I really like this movie, because it's, like, you know, with, like, the nature and them kind of dwarfing the people and kind of, like, um, you know, the strange relationships, uh, you know, formed. It's kind of, like, it, it's a perfect distillation of kind of, like, a beauty you can't connect to, but, like, you can, like admire and i and i don't mean that like i didn't connect to the movie but it's like a kind of a a look don't touch type of beauty yeah that's uh going on here and it's weird because um like as the movie goes on it, it that same kind of concept of how their surroundings shape them is then transferred to man-made architecture rather than, you know, nature. But at the same time on the Island, they find this like ancient vase at one point and it's just like implied or even said in dialogue that there's an ancient city buried underneath these rock formations, you know? And it's like, I I don't know. Um, Antonioni talked about, you know, the, uh, the film is about like our moral values and conventions being old and outmoded, but everyone just accepts them regardless. And I feel like the play of nature versus man-made architecture and stuff like that really plays into that. And he also said um, about making red desert, actually that every morning on the way to set uh, he drove early in the morning on a highway where on one side you could see like the ocean and the sunrise. And on the other side, he could see all the like ugly industrial rubble and stuff like that, that you're very familiar with if you've seen red desert and partway through the production, he only found himself looking at the rubble and stuff like that. Because as he said in the quote, a man had been there. And I feel like his fascination with kind of like man-made beauty juxtaposed uh, with natural beauty is so like evident through that quote and evident through all of his films really oh no yeah once we go to like the man-made architecture you know just even compositionally the way like he puts people's in you know window frames and hallways and door frames and all that stuff really i think puts that strength to that quote you know he's like a you know you know a man has been there you know what i mean like we see like i don't know like characters in like the most like architectural parts of like mm-hmm. you know buildings or whatever or just the most print you know doorways stuff like you know it's a little bit more than just a blank wall you know you really yeah. see the infrastructures of the of these places and so they kind of just go from town to town getting one clue after another um at one point you know uh sandro is kind of just chasing after uh claudia monica vitti's character mm-hmm. while claudia is like the only one seemingly invested in looking for anna uh which is just like a great kind of um game that the film plays narratively 
they end up with some of those people from earlier. Uh, they have like this luncheon. Uh, they meet like this young horny painter there <laughs> who only paints nude women and says that no natural landscape is as beautiful as a woman's face. Which, That's absolutely true. I mean, hey, the way Antonioni shoots Monica Vitti, like her, her close-ups are given so much attention in this movie mm-hmm. and all the movies that she's in by him. Um, yeah, you could definitely give some credence to the filmmaking on that quote. I, you know, I like a woman's face, but you know, like, isn't that wa- Windows ninety five landscape? Isn't <laughs> don't can't you admire those curves too? <laughs> Real desktop wallpapers have curves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's bring let's bring that type of bo- body positivity back. <laughs> Real women have curves. I watched that movie in like a high school like social sciences class. <laughs> Real women are thick as fuck. Like we, uh, this was such a weird class. I had no idea what it was. Like I transferred high schools, and uh, this was like in the middle of the semester. All I remember from this class was like one watching that movie, and two reading like the the Tupac poem, like a rose grew from concrete or whatever. Eddie went to BBW Academy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, real podcasts have curves. So, um, yeah. And, and at one point, like the, I, I think the overall like minusculity of their problems is once again, put into perspective when Sandro is like confronting the journalist who, uh, published a piece about the woman going missing, you know? And he's just like, do you have any more info, whatever? And the guy's like, I'm covering a real story here, you know? And the real story is just like some celebrity woman who paid a bunch of money to have like a press mob her in the middle of the street. Uh, and that is just like, I don't know. So contradictory and amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, it is uh, both these movies today. You know, we're we're, we're going after journos, dude. Yeah. The journalists. Yeah. The vultures. Know, the vultures. <laughs> you know, maybe start, instead of focusing on, you know, hot 19-year-old pop stars, maybe you should go find the missing women out there. <laughs> All right? You know? Sorry. But uh, it, it is it is like a, that introduction of, like, that character and, like, the way uh, Sandro... You know, looks at you know equally to like that Ben Affleck character can't even like pretend to be upset that his wife is missing, and yeah. like, <laughs> like, you could tell it's like you know he's oh he's he's ready on to the next one. This guy. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's one of two scenes where there's like a lot of people, I guess you could say, <laughs> like uh, that, that mob of people. And the other one is, of course, when they go to a more uh, working class town uh, where there's a hotel that she had apparently been, or a hostel that she had apparently been spotted at. And Sandro goes in there on his own and Claudia is just waiting outside. And then there's just like 40 Italian men like oh, swooping around her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And she just starts freaking out and walking away very fast. But the way that Antonioni stages that scene is so brilliant with them, like on that bridge over her and some of them walking up to her and the whole time the shots tracking her in like medium. And I don't know the the it's just masterful. You have that pressure of like the bunch of guys staring at you, but also like the like kind of the uncertainties like, well, where you know, there's other guys here. Like, mm-hmm. where are they at? You know what I mean? And they'll be like guy's not going up to her but like walking past her you know what i mean yeah. just for the reason to you know it's Checking very her out. it's a very like uh just random tension within like the you know a movie that's not really about that but you know it does that very masterfully mm-hmm. um 
to contrast that is the ghost town that they go to where Monica VT even proclaims this isn't a town, it's a cemetery. And it's just completely abandoned and it's so strange and like surreal. And it has like my favorite shot in the movie when they're leaving and the camera is just like in this alleyway and it slowly is pushing in on them getting back in the car. And there's just buildings on the left and right side of the frame. The car is in the center. The church is behind them and the camera kind of moves upward as they get in the car and leave. And I don't know. It's just like one of my favorite shots in cinema. Um, so they go uh, then to an overcrowded fancy party with like a bellboy that they mock for being robotic at one point. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, I forgot how much of just like bourgeoisie assholes these people are because <laughs> they've been so isolated <laughs> for yeah. a while. Um, but yeah, she's like, Claudia is like fearing Anna's return and she's saying how like everything's becoming so easy and it's like, oh, they kind of had their fun already, like their their flirtatious little escapade, and uh, it's becoming easy again. They're slipping back into that complacency, even though Anna is still missing, and they're basically carrying on this affair. She's like kind of used to it by now, and that's a really harsh sentiment to take, especially when right after it, uh, she discovers that he's having sex not with Anna, who is not returned and does not, but just some random girl he found at the party. And uh, yeah. it's it's pretty messed up. Well, it just speaks to kind of yeah. like how things are like devastatingly random. You know, there's not like yeah. much meaning or whatever to like these people's lives, you know, whatever that means. But like, uh, you know, it's like it would make like some sort of like narrative sense. Like, oh, no, like what if Anna comes back and like they have a connection, her and Sandra, you know what I mean? How, what will I compare? It's like. No, it's actually, it's a little, you know, it's less calculated than that. It's yeah. more just like, uh, you know, ooh, I see a random woman, you know, I'd, I'd like to go <laughs> no. talk to her or whatever, you know, and it's like, there's something more devastating about that than it, it you know, it being like something that seems natural or yeah. whatever. Um, so at the very end, uh, you know, after this confrontation, he's just like on a bench on the rooftop, just like crying and, uh, she doesn't want to console him. Like she hesitates so clearly. And there's that like, not quite a, like extreme close up, but there's the shot that really emphasizes her hand hesitating before consoling him. And then she just does. And it's like, yeah, they're, they're back in that complacent mode where they're going to be kind of, I, I guess she's just kind of accepted this codependency and they're just dwarfed by the architecture once again. And uh, the ugliness of life is overshadowed by the beauty of man-made beauty uh, <laughs> and also by the beauty of the people you know Antonioni's not casting any uggos in his movies <laughs> uh, but no I just brutes. think this is one of the best movies ever it's an easy five bullets for me yeah I'm gonna go five bullets as well yeah kind of like uh, you know just all these people their whole life you know it seems you know they they live the way they do because it's like the path of least resistance you know what I mean and it's like Maybe it is the healthier decision to be like, well, you know, this guy's, you know, is I don't see a future maybe for him and me, you know, long, you know, can't stay faithful or whatever, doesn't care that his girlfriend of five years is missing, you know what I mean? But I guess I don't really care that much either. So it's like, <laughs> you know, you kind of just having to, you know, kind of a, a sad acceptance of the way things are. And uh, yeah, I think Antonioni and his, you know, very specific eye, you know, his, uh, love of architecture. I mean, it just, it's, it, it's all very fitting for this movie. And, uh, yeah, he's one of the greats, one of the greats. So JT, what do you think? Um, yeah, I'm going five bullets on this as well. It's a I'm 
mean, it's just like the the like surface level like visual beauty alone mm-hmm. is just stunning. But I don't know. It leaves you just feeling. I, I, I don't know how empty and constructed everything is. I mean, particularly like bourgeois society where those people are buying into the construction the most because they've they've gotten the most out of it. But that like breeds like such an apathy. Mm-hmm. Like and I think the real roaming quality of the film just sort of shows how they're just like they're the winners in society and they're the ones who this is really going well for but they just don't give a shit and just go from one thing to the next and i love uh the scene where like uh sandro and claudia are like outside uh sort of talking and he's going on sort of about what he does um, and then it's just that he does like estimates for other people's mm-hmm. buildings. So of course it's like loosely related to architecture, but it's just like, again, nothing. He has any control. Like he's not making anything. He's not attached <laughs> to anything. He's just doing estimates and he's like, doesn't really give a shit if it, they're beautiful or not. He's yeah. like beauty used to last, but he's just doing a thing. And hey, they had to grind for this view. <laughs> <laughs> it it is funny how just like the most rich people just have jobs that have no use to anyone. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> pretty sick setup. We'll be right back on extended clip. Uh, this year, the Academy Board of Directors has voted to present the honorary Oscar to one of the movie's great visionaries, Michelangelo Antonioni. Most movies celebrate the ways we connect with one another. The films of this master mourn the failures to connect. on extended clip for the final edition of Malcolm in the Middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, how's life been treating you lately? Uh, well, it's the holiday season, so you know that it's always a good time during the holiday season. And uh, so I didn't watch any movies recently. Jolly St. Malk. Exactly. You know, I hope to bring some of that, you know, Kris Kringle type energy. You know, always giving. You know, it's yeah. always better to give than receive. That's what I say. But uh, I really haven't, you know, I've been, we've been kind of compounding these episodes. So I just, a couple of YouTube videos I watched recently, I watched, uh, I think there's this guy named Townsend or whatever. And like, he lives like he's in the 1700s and uh, I, I check in on him from time to time and he uh, gave a pretty nice Wait, he video. he lives full time like that or just I don't, for the videos? Uh, you know what? I don't know, but it seems like he's got a little, he's got a little village set up. You know what I mean? So like. I think, you know, he doesn't even really play into, like, the old-timiness too much. He just shows you, you know, how they did things back then. And uh, 
there was a nice video of them, you know, taking the, the their deconstructing the roof and putting on a new one. You know, made it, it was very like Lincoln Logish, so that was fun. And oh yeah, I watched like this. Um, there's this short film. I, I guess this is a movie technically. There's a short film called Pecan Pie by Michelle Gondry, which is about a minute and forty three seconds, and okay. it's a. Uh, Jim Carrey driving around in like a mattress car singing to Elvis. I watched like 30 seconds of it. It wasn't. (laughs) 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 You didn't finish it off. Yeah. It seemed seemed like a fun time. You know, it looks like they had a great time making it. But uh, I kind of got the gist after 30 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's that's all I got. JT, what about you? Um, well, so I wouldn't flounder like Malcolm did in our last <laughs> Malcolm in the Middle segment. That was a huge floundering <laughs> right there. Um, I watched I watched a movie with the like forty minutes I had uh, between getting home from work and walking the dog and starting the podcast. Um, and I did uh, the uh, twenty nineteen film by Rainer Kohlberger. It has to be lived once and dreamed twice. Uh, And it's like a 28-minute short um, that I had watched uh, earlier this year, uh, and I loved it, and I have been meaning to check it out again. Um, And it's very weird and hard to describe, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to try my best. It's like narrated... uh, It's like basically like just digital effects and like the film starts with like pretty intense like static and then there's this voiceover narration uh that's like uh a woman's voice uh talking about uh the world and human civilization in a manner that implies like that people are done or gone um and then there's this generally kind of like philosophic like rambling uh about uh, creating existence out of like self-reflection that happens and then there's this weird distorted like digital image of Frankenstein that happens after like um, a lot of really intense static and then one point when there's static there are like these kind of like psychedelic swirls that pop into the mix uh, now I see why you like it <laughs> uh, um, I mean no <laughs> it's, it's a good tripping. <laughs> it's a good laptop like headphones movie because like even if I wasn't stoned when I watched it, like it, like it's very weird. There are a lot of like intense, like strobing lights, but I think, um, I, I don't know, just the way it like interweaves, like some moments you're seeing like almost human images kind of walk through very like fake digital static. And I'm not sure how he created this effect, but when it's like some real heavy, like static bullshit, they're talking about like the sea and waves um, and like sort of draws out a comparison to digital noise being like analogous to like the ocean. And when you're at the beach sort of noticing like that um, sound around you and it feels like very comparable. And uh, a lot of the philosophical rambling, I think, is pretty interesting and uh, goes in some neat territory um talking about just like reality and imagination where you see like these very distorted digital images that just remind you of like nerves and sort of brain waves or it feels like a weird 
digital composition of like, I don't know, like sort of cellular video um, of like what the inside of a body looks like. It's crazy like that. It's just there are these very hyper-constructed digital images that mirror like natural processes and there are some that are like very apparent like distortions of like real human images and like faces and whatnot um and it just is a very powerful experience and uh crazy movie i need to check out more of the shorts that uh Kohlberger did because i think he plays with this uh i don't know like experimental digital stuff a lot but i would highly uh recommend it nice i just before we recorded today watched an all-time classic because that's what i'm doing for this week's episode just remembering some all-time classics and for the first time actually i took a look at john ford's the man who shot liberty valance and you know it lived up to his reputation. What can I say? Um, the What was most interesting to me about it is that, and if you don't know the setup of the film, you know, uh, James Stewart as a politician recounts a story of a time that a bad man named Liberty Valance, played by Lee Marvin, was uh, terrorizing a small old western town. And, uh, you know, John Wayne had to uh, teach him some gunslinging ways in order to to get rid of the uh, threat. And so what was most interesting to me on top of the usual 40 and, you know, masterful compositions and sense of American history and politics, like perfectly embedded within fiction without feeling didactic, uh, was that it is all told within this flashback. Uh, and so it's more, you know, remembered than felt, I guess you could say. And I think what's even more interesting than that is the titular act of the shooting of Liberty Valance is shown through a flashback within a flashback. You know, it's a classic narrative device where you see what you think the truth is. And then a few scenes later, you get the real truth. And so this is, you know, John Wayne's flashback within Jimmy Stewart's memory. And the way that Ford presents it just from this one fixed angle uh, that is like kind of not quite over the shoulder of John Wayne, but from his perspective clearly is it's my favorite shot in the movie. And it's just so simple. And I don't know, it just like is so beautiful in its use of Cheroscuro and so intimate with him and uh, his partner and it also is so just like brutal, the action of it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like, you know, in a film about myth making, that one little flashback scene feels like the ultimate example of John Ford's ability to create uh, Western American myths on screen. And uh, yeah, it's a masterpiece. What else do you want from me? It's freaking Liberty Valance, man. Uh, could you give some more analysis? That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back on extended clip. I am so much happier now that I'm dead. Technically missing. Soon to be presumed dead. Gone. And my lazy, lying, cheating, oblivious husband will go to prison for my murder. And we're back on extended clip talking about Gone Girl. 
by David Fincher, the 2014 film and the final film that we will review on this podcast. I'm really milking the whole finale. Yeah. This, this I episode. mean, haven't we for been, you know, <laughs> yeah. we announced the end? final season like yeah. months ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I told my mom today, she was like, what are you up to today? I was like, oh, we're going to record the podcast. You know, it's the last one. And she was like, didn't you guys do the last one? Like, <laughs> <laughs> are you sure it's the last one? Yeah. My roommate hit me with that. I was like, I thought you guys stopped a month ago. I was like, now we're still doing them. Yeah. Clearly uh, <laughs> yeah. my mom's not listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Come on now. Come on, Ma. Yeah. But uh Thank God. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. My my parents don't know that this podcast exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what you you recorded at their house. Do you think did they think you're just talking to your friend on the computer? Yeah. In a way he was. Just talking to his friends. <laughs> That's true. In a way he was. <laughs> Damn JT. <Very> poetic. <laughs> the Liberty Valance rubbed off on you. <laughs> he's a Liberty Valance. He's a you know Jimmy Stewart type, I'd say. Oh, thank Secretly you. gay. <laughs> Whoa, fuck you, man. Come on. Um, it must be said before we get to the review, cheers to the Gone Girls haters. Shout out to Sean, you know. Oh, of course. And uh, uh, a, a message for like four people listening to this. Uh, you know, the, the group chat is large, but I would say four maybe of them will listen yeah. to this episode. <laughs> uh, an ongoing bit. Cheers, of course, to the Gone Girl cheers haters. Cheers to the Gone Girls. May man. they find peace elsewhere in their subpar cinema. Uh, so Gone Girl is a 2014 film by David Finch. Uh, with a screenplay by Gillian Flynn adapted from her own novel of the same name. And what's it about? You got <laughs> you got uh, Ben Affleck playing Nick Dunn, Big Dick Nick. Uh, and you got Rosamund Pike playing Amy Elliott Dunn. Notice that she keeps her original last name, hyphenates Dunn. Just, he's just an appendage on her, you know? Uh, so what? she... You know, his last name is just... Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> speaking of appendage, you know, two hours and 20 minutes into this two hour and a half movie, you get a little Ben Affleck appendage action for half a second. Yeah, yeah to be honest, like people talk about it, it's like I, I didn't even really see it. Like, it it really, really goes to show what people are looking for in the movies these days. <laughs> these I was days. more focused... <laughs> These women. People say you see a little a Neil, a little Neil Patrick Harris in this, but you don't. No, you, if you, you did, it must don't. be really little. I was going to say, it's like for it would be for like a, a split second. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of the blocking of that scene, and I don't think you yeah, do. No, I, I haven't. You don't. But I just, I just went through it like the Zapruder <laughs> film just to see frame by frame <laughs> the like, insert shot of uh, like the the shot of his butt in underwear with her hand uh, reaching from <laughs> under. It's like, do you get anything? <laughs> yeah, there's, there wasn't much uh, Neil Patrick Harris penis hype. I feel like, but you know. <laughs> hey, for those who are listening just to see, you know, the extended clip Mr. Skin Mail Edition report, uh, that's all you get. You get about half a second of Affleck dong and none other. But anyway. Uh, no nudity from women, which is, that's like a commentary in the movie, right? There is nudity from women. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot. We'll get to it. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, <laughs> so... Ben Affleck, uh, he is married to Rosamund Pike's character, and one day, on their anniversary, in fact, she goes missing. And first, we see it from his perspective. You know, you get the uh, the text on screen, you know, how many days she's been gone every time. And the text on screen always flashes very quickly, uh, extending to the opening credits. Actually, let's, let's take it back a little bit. Yeah. The opening credits. Ben Affleck, 
Roast him to pie. Gone, girl. Shit's fast as fuck. No, it is, though. And I think that is interesting because mm-hmm. it is similar. Like, the whole film is playing with uh, digital and new media. You know, the, the perception of these stories. And it really also sets the tone for the pacing of this. This is a movie with so many scenes and it's two and a half hours but it could be four hours you know like it is such a dense narrative and the the information just flies at you you know a a million miles a minute and it also relates to the way that media relays these stories you know popular media and the way that we move on so quickly such as and spoiler alert i guess if you haven't seen fucking gone girl uh when he's Mm -hmm. proven innocent of course uh the way that the media narrative changes and the way that even the police handling of him changes you know the way that detective Rhonda boney played masterfully by kim dickens uh is just like the ultimate you know second villain i guess of this movie after roseman pike for the first hour and a half or even close to two hours and then she's just like his buddy again at the end (laughs) and uh, he even says like so are we friends again you know and uh, the way that audience perspective is manipulated and the audience's thoughts on these characters is manipulated throughout this movie uh, is just like the way the characters are manipulated by the law enforcement and by the big media figures and I don't know. God, it's such a good movie. Yeah. yeah I, I you know I always really like this movie but I feel like this you know viewing really uh, I don't know just clicked everything into place for me made me realize you know pretty much everything that's going on here and it is like yeah just uh how you know basically perception or whatever and you know kind of what antonioni was saying you know yeah. how things yeah. should be informing how the characters act and you know the the places they go you know by you know rejecting those notions and in very strange ways and I feel like the way people talk about this movie nowadays is like, you know, it'd be like... She like, freaking got her wig snatched. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like, oh, it's like, damn, the cool girl monologue. It's yeah. like, damn, yeah. she, she really was... She was really... She, she's cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> or, hey, yeah. man, she drank she, canned beer pretty, while watching Adam Sandler cool. movies yeah. and blew him semi-regularly. Yeah, and, and, and it sounds it, pretty cool to me. And, and, <laughs> and, it's, and it's funny because it is like... It, I don't know. The way this movie's remembered is like kind of like almost like a pro aim a movie where it's like this movie could not hate the world more <laughs> than anything else just a very like uh you know and, pe- and people maybe accuse that of being a cynical perspective but i think it 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 kind of works with what's going on here and how like i don't know you know it points fingers at the media and how it, you know it likes to manipulate narratives or whatever but also plays with the fact that it's like you know nick dunn is not the greatest guy oh, either you know what i mean he's a piece of shit he's a, pe- yeah. he's, a, he's a piece of shit so that you know i think this movie respects you know the interplay of uh, misogyny and misandry and like kind yes. of like <laughs> both very yeah. important oh, issues yeah. in our culture yeah yeah and both both like uh give you enough meat on the bone to chew on from both perspectives you yeah. know what i mean you could easily go um, away from this movie being like damn Amy's a fucking crazy fucking rich bitch fuck her or like <laughs> being like you know Ben Affleck deserves everything he got and it's like both are just kind of true and like it, it's the beauty in it is how like the the movie is just kind of like yeah it's just how things are you know what I mean it's not there's nothing you know it does it does have its thriller moments and it, it is like a you know one of the last great erotic thrillers probably probably the last great erotic thriller but like at the end of the day, it is, it kind of gives you, it serves you this meal and like, it's how it is, pal, you know, which, <laughs> yeah. I, which I love that disposition. Yeah. Like this for me also, I feel like the 
because I think this is the first time I've watched it since seeing it in theaters originally. Oh, wow. And when I saw it in theaters, it was definitely something where it's like you pick up on like the just pure genre work of it and it being like a, a really tightly constructed machine. But like the way it can be so cold and precise sometimes, I feel like just reveals like there's so much density here as this like a as being like a living object of the Obama era. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's no like piece of media that like represents like more what like during the time of like, I feel like the Obama era era characterized by like the vast majority of like upper middle class, like white people that are like vaguely liberal kind of fucking off and doing their own things and not worrying about politics and like, what do fucking like white women get into like fucking true crime <laughs> like bullshit exactly, yeah oh like, yeah this thing is like so infested with true crime freaks and it's just like even that even like a, to a broader extent of like 2010s culture there's like fucking ben affleck and his and his reddit sister have an ironic <laughs> bar named the bar my sister margo and i own the bar downtown oh, the bar love the name very meta. Thanks. Yeah. Like during the fucking cool girl, girl monologue, Amy's listing off like types of 2000s like girlfriends and guys. Mm -hmm. And it's just like so <laughs> heavily rooted in that culture. In that moment, there's like culture war bullshit of like slobs versus snobs, mm -hmm. like how that manifests in like the 2010s. And it's just like this. It's such a fun like time capsule for that moment, even when it like. I, I don't know, like came out, I feel like there's things because it like is very consciously reflecting upon the recession and whatnot. But just damn, there's so much here. The cultural timestamps, you know, really like, you know, give the set, give the film a sense of time and place. And also the games that she is playing really made me think of La Ventura again mm -hmm. with Anna pretending that there's a shark there, uh, you know, when there's not. And, uh, you know, you could even extend that to being her disappearance was just a ploy like Amy's, you know, um, because Amy, like Anna, is just fed up with the malaise of the bourgeoisie lifestyle. She's over it. And so this really is just like a trashy genre version of La Ventura for the Obama era. And, you know, the, the critique of media is so dense. It's just like so ridiculous, like reality TV, trashy talk shows and true crime freaks all are more guilty than either character in this movie by far. Yeah, it is like you got like the the Nancy Grace character. Oh my yeah. god! You know what I mean? And she's great in it. And I love I love also um, uh, kind of like the mentality. I guess Amy had you know this kind of very bourgeois mentality of like you know the marriage is about to end essentially, and it looks like you know Affleck's character is about to you know win or whatever. You know if if you think in those terms, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like uh, like she's like I'm gonna ruin. Um, this guy's life, you know what I mean? Just because, like, it seems like I'm going to quote unquote lose the relationship and stuff like that. And it's just a very interesting perspective of like, uh, like, uh, just like the hyper competitive nature of everything, even like influencing their relationship and how, you know, was, I guess it's never exactly what it seems, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? That it was very, very thick facade was always being laid on the entire time. Mm. And it's hilarious that even then in the solution, I mean, much like, I don't know, I feel like in the, there are no 
nothing being addressed in the Obama era. They just wind up, well, we're going to keep the structure of things that we have, <laughs> even though we know we're both miserable and hate each other. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like, hey, it's it's making paper. It's like, what it's, <laughs> it's what's expected of it. Like every everyone's move is informed by like kind of like the media perception yeah, we of what's about it. to happen. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's all like, about optics. Yeah, it's all about <laughs> optics. It's like I can't leave you even though I know you're a murderer. You know what I mean? Because like everyone's just gonna be a little bit too mean to me. You yeah. know what I mean? And that and that's what's actually important to me. What people think about me rather than my actual life. And this has one of my favorite narrative structures of any movie ever, yeah. basically. Uh, even before the like reversal that starts with the cool girl monologue, you know, the first hour plus of this is just like flashback versus present day. You know, uh, the flashbacks, of course, are being dictated by Amy's diary. And then, of course, uh, you know, the, the present day is the investigation, really the investigation of Ben Affleck. It doesn't really turn into that until close to a switching perspective. It's more of just like the media starting to look into what's happening, the police starting to look into what's happening, etc. Um, but the back and forth is so great in the way that like even it comes down to like the color grading, you know? It's like Fincher is switching between the looks of these like icy blue, silver, gray tones and then these like yellow, weirdly warm tones of the flashbacks because they are like warm rom-com flashbacks almost, but there's yeah. just something so fucking off about it with that yellow tone that it takes. And they have that meat cute in the party where it's like a, such a like stupid self-satisfied <laughs> rom-com meat cute where there are people watching and stuff. Yeah. And Affleck says something like, I'm here to save you from all this awesomeness. And uh, <laughs> you know, the, she has that line about his chin being too villainous, which creates their little game they play where he puts his fingers over his chin and, uh, you know, th- those flashbacks include her, uh, his proposal to her where, and by the way, if you don't know, uh, you know, more backstory on Amy, she was, uh, the subject of children's books that her parents wrote about a, a better childhood for her. Basically amazing. Amy was this character that was like a fantasy fulfillment for her. And, uh, so while the media is interviewing her about it, Affleck slips in and pretends to be a journalist and just, and this is defining for his character, just after after saying that she has a world-class vagina, uh, proposes to her in front of the media colleagues. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it, it is. It is funny. Like the like the. I mean, well, just to first speak on the structure, like it is masterful, and like kind of like the twist or whatever. It's like it, it's even better because it you know renders what you've seen before is like oh that you know that's not necessarily true. You know what I mean? And uh, but it is like in reflection, like these rom com kind of you know i i it, which like they're better because like it works within like this framework of the movie but kind of taken on their own it is like yeah ben affleck's just kind of just I don't know, like very very reddit you know what i mean yeah. to oh invoke yeah. that term again being like <laughs> oh it's like oh what are you gonna go talk philosophy or you know it's just very like very corny and it's like there's something not very uh convincing about this but it speaks to kind of like you know their facade of a relationship and uh yeah i mean just to speak you know you're talking about color grading it is like um fincher does kind of shoot this like very like antiseptic like nancy Mm -hmm. myers you know what i mean it's like extra polish on the granite uh, counters type like uh um you know not not necessarily i guess maybe even myers is a wrong pull but just like 
very within like the milieu of like you know these rich people's houses and stuff like that and it's none the of it, upper middle class gloss that yeah. has that slight detachment to it through exactly. the digital yeah nothing that looks that nice but it is like you know technically it's like well i guess this does show wealth yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's all so perfectly framed too yeah. and of course the movements are all so fucking precise you know if you listen to the commentary there's certain takes where he's just like yeah this took 40 takes because we had to get it to look natural it's just like <laughs> a three second shot of like a camera movement you know <laughs> yeah i just think that like i don't know it's so hard with like digital cinematography to get like the crispness that it will have mm. right but fincher's just such a master of it and like it works so well here for being like just like beautifully composed but just like you're aware of the artificiality of mm -hmm. it and it's just like i don't know so involved in the facade and how hollow it is yeah the artificiality especially of the flashbacks that take place in new york is so good like they're mm -hmm. they're a little brooklyn on the universal backlot i guess <laughs> yeah uh where a it's little like sugar storm oh the sugar storm uh you know romance amongst the dumpsters uh in the back <laughs> yeah. alley is so beautiful and like clearly like cg enhanced uh sugar storm as well as when that's mirrored again with the snowstorm when he does the same act to uh emily radzikowski uh radzikowski uh i don't know yeah, is, a, is there a j in there <laughs> yeah that's the nudity is i'll call her m yeah his his teenage girlfriend <laughs> uh and yeah i don't know just the the artificiality extends beyond that. You know, the backdrop of New York and their apartment is so fake, but so beautiful at the same time. And that, of course, is the scene where the recession has fully hit them and, you know, they're both going to get laid off. And yeah. it's so funny because they have that touching scene of just like everything else is background noise. Cut to Ben Affleck you know, uh, foregrounded by Chinese takeout playing Call of Duty oh, hell with yeah. a new unopened <laughs> MacBook on the floor. <laughs> it's so funny that both their jobs are like writing for like BuzzFeed and Barstool or whatever. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, Ben Affleck like, writes for a men's magazine. And she like writes like personality quizzes, you know what I mean? <laughs> this, this is how I imagine these people's lives actually are, probably, you know? Oh, yeah. God, it's just so perfect. It's just like such a perfect, encapsulation of like 2000s media people mm -hmm. like oh and i love the first visit by the police when uh detective boney you know just shows up and is immediately sympathetic of course because it's like oh yeah your wife left or she's yeah. gone you know and then just like the first time she places one of those yellow post-it notes it's just like oh yeah she's completely on him mm -hmm, uh, yeah. and then of course her partner uh played by um, Patrick Fugit, the uh, the uh, Fugit. what you? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, the uniformed officer that like is with her the whole time is so funny. He just doesn't have an ounce of sympathy for her, and they totally play with that too. You know the the bit where she's asking him his blood or his wife's blood type, and he's she's just like, "You don't know your wife's blood type." Then he leaves the room, and Patrick Fugit's like, "Should I know my wife's blood type?" <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> no, it, it is like very established from the start that like yeah, like these cops are not exactly here to you know help them out or whatever, yeah. and like. Even like the small, like the small details of like, 
um like the police have been like looking for him while he's being questioned because his dad is like senile or whatever yeah, and, like that is such a great way to build mm-hmm. tension that's yeah. like a master i mean fincher is a master of building suspense on like a pure craft level yeah and exactly. that scene is a great example of it or even just kind of like the whole amazing amy like book setup it never really like comes through in like a like a very like largely largely like meaningful way but just shows to establish like you know amy's problems of like you know even though she was rich she always had to live up to like some sort of like uh you know standard that she can never live up to and like Mm. that you know is a catalyst for you know whatever happens next you know and to speak on what JT referred to as the Reddit sister, uh, played by Carrie Coon, their relationship is so great, you know, because they're uh, twins who have been, you know, together since the womb, and uh, they just play off of each other so perfectly. Like when uh, he's out getting smashed the whole night, or really in at her house getting smashed the whole night after uh, his wife goes missing, and he she wakes him up with a diet coke on his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love their relationship too because it's like you think you know you know I guess a warmer person might be like all right you know this is like this is where like a human connection comes in mm-hmm. but it's it's you know shown throughout that like you know this relationship or whatever with Amy has caused tension in their relationship you know even beyond parts the Reddit sister couldn't even realize mm-hmm. where it's like it's constantly revealed throughout the investigation it's like oh yeah, I didn't tell you that about her. Or like, you know, he just picks and chooses, you know, what he tells is, uh, her as the truth. And like their bond isn't, is that, you know, as strong as, you know, it could be, you know? And I love a great example of the cynicism of the media is like, you know, they are very close together. And like, she even, you know, uh, makes jokes about his sex life, like that insanely crude joke about the five year wood anniversary. Oh my Uh, God. That (laughs) fucking rocks. So would you get her? There's no good gift for wood. I know. Go home, fuck her brains out, slap her with your penis. There's some wood for you, bitch. (laughs) And so it's like, what's the most cynical read possible on that? Uh, You know, they're a little too close. And then, of course, that that is what the media goes for an hour in. And like, uh, it's just like implied on TV. But of course, everyone gets it. Affleck watches that on TV in the airport. And the guy behind him is just like, yeah, that's twin cyst. (laughs) Small details. Like the movie's full of great small details like that. Also, like I love when, you know, Tyler Perry comes into the picture. And this has been a very, you know, it's been a very lauded performance. But, you know, for very good reason. Yeah. Mm hmm. And, like, his perspective on the situation as someone is, you know, as a media-savvy person, as someone who's kind of detached and kind of can see the humor and the absurdity (laughs) of the situation and how fucking bonkers it is when he's training to go on that show. And he's, like, you know, bringing up backstories like, oh, yeah, and I was always really close to my dad. And Tyler Perry's like, don't talk about your fucking dad. You think these (laughs) motherfuckers are going to care if you liked your dad or not? Talk about your mom. (laughs) You know, and and, and it's just very funny how, like, I don't know. Like, he's so locked into that mindset that it's just funny when someone, uh, you know, is not... Like it's funny to him when someone's not like on that wavelength. Just like at the end when he knows that like Amy is like batshit crazy and they're back together, he's just like yucking it up the whole time, just being like, "Oh, I'm out." Like Elvis left the building. I think that perspective is important in the movie. Also, with like kind of like the quote unquote redneck woman that um, you know Amy kind of befriends or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think is a very key part in this movie and how she can't really make it (laughs) in like this you know quote unquote like lower class community and like how like 
she has this idea of like, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm tired of being like, you know, watching Adam Sandler movies with, mm-hmm. you know, Ben Affleck or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, my life, you know, I'm pretending to be someone I'm not, you know, what I really am. I'm like a cool person who could live on the edge and yeah. like do all this stuff. But it's like, now that, you know, the real world will ser- serve you some humble pie. You know what I mean? You're, you're walking around with a fucking stacks of money and, and you know, in your, your hoodie. It's like, you know, they see that you're like, you know, why don't you hand that over? Yeah. You know it, what I mean? It, it, the it harsh just, reality of like that. pokes holes in the whole like yay Amy like reading. And I mean, also, I think like plays a part of like a larger critique of like the elitist like Obama era, like media class, like fucking mm-hmm. liberals. Amy has this like incredibly like girl bossed out plan down to a T of like when she's going to fucking kill herself. But like a dude who's like playing mini golf in a weed shirt. (laughs) He's also wearing a weed hat the first time he's introduced. (laughs) So sick. So much, so much weed apparel just watches a wad of money fall out of you. And it's just like, she's cooked. She's done then. Yeah. And these, I mean, these are the two, you know, most likable characters in the movie, right? Yeah. The woman played by Lola Kirk wonderfully. That's like one of my favorite. I mean, I I can't say one of my favorite performances in the movie because all of my perform, all of the performances (laughs) are my favorite other than after, like who's the clear number one with the bullet uh but lola kirk is so good there and like yeah the also like i don't know the brand saturation of the movie she reminds me of also because uh you know when amy goes to the store goes to big lots specifically uh before shacking up at that ozarks uh like community center trailer park kind of thing you know it's too nice to be a trailer park but that's essentially what it is yeah and she's just like stocking up on little debbie's uh snack cakes and stuff like that (laughs) and then the lola kirk character is downing mountain dew that amy eventually spits in uh it's so great and to cycle back to uh the tyler perry character so media savvy his introduction is on tv with the nancy grace like character and uh, you know she gives him that intro that he laughs at she's like defender of wife killers everywhere (laughs) and he laughs it off and then if you look closely the ticker on the bottom of the screen is like peace in the middle east talks have been delayed once again due to sanctions (laughs) 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 it's like the la ventura thing of just like how minuscule are these problems that we're zeroing in on you know yeah well that's i mean i kind of i with uh, Lola, is that or Lola That's Kirk? The actress That's is Lola Greta. Kirk, yeah, Greta is her name in the movie. You know, they're both watching like this Nancy Grace report, and it is. It kind of reminded me of like, um, you know, going like that story of like the the couple that went camping in the woods and like the <laughs> guy killed her or whatever. And it, you know, not you know awful that that happened but it is very funny how like she's like yeah she was like some rich bitch who married a fucking asshole it's like (laughs) big fucking deal like you know what i mean and it's like that's you know that's almost like a norm that's the most normal perspective in the movie and it's very funny how it's like you know she has to get out of you know her whole plan to have someone say this to her you know what i mean it's like it's like this happens to every fucking buddy like who cares Uh, so while that is going on, you know, Affleck is covering his tracks as best as he can. And, you know, uh, his, his M. Radikowski girlfriend, you know, uh, beats them to the punch about him cheating. And also that relationship is so creepy, man. Like, I know she said, like, it's said that she's like 23 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, what Carrie Coon keeps saying about her being his teen girlfriend <laughs> feels so true. She has such a small frame compared to him when they're like getting dressed in the morning. He's like, dressing her mm-hmm. and it's just like so creepy and then i was listening to the commentary late last night and fincher was like oh yeah this is t- 
total Lolita. Like that's what he was going yeah. for. With that. Uh, 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 he's like he wanted to get those vibes off. Yeah, and like I, I think it's great because it is like for this, uh, you know, for the Amy reading, you know, the pro Amy reading to even exist. Like you know, Nick Dunn just has to be a total fucking sleaze. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's <laughs> it's very funny, you know, with his you know quote unquote you know teenage girlfriend and like and the casting is so perfect yeah. too. Uh, during Blair that scene, uh, Finch was talking about <laughs> like uh, literally. I think it was like Affleck. I think mentioned the blurred lines video, <laughs> uh, but he, he said it was perfect casting for that point of the movie because women would see her and yeah. be disgusted in Affleck and men would see her and say, well, he did the wrong thing, but I understand. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's completely perfect because it is like, that's, that's something that's like gets people's goats all the yeah. time. You know, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. People, you know, you know, as the licorice pizza response has shown, people don't like the legal age gaps. You know, so, I mean, you know what they hate even more legal age gaps. You know what I mean? And it's and it's just very funny how like I don't know Fincher plays. It's like something that's like it is wrong, but it's not illegal. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just it's a perfect like little thing and to it, stir the pot. It's another it's pot. So stir. fucking funny how seriously Affleck plays. Like no, like we have a serious thing. It's like she's not gonna she's not gonna flip. Like yeah. I know her. <laughs> And her uh, response, loyal dude. Yeah, <laughs> they love the narrative. Uh, I love how Fincher uh, zeroes in on her during the candlelit vigil, which is just such a beautiful scene. You know, all the candle lighting, and of course, you get some you know uh, fake lighting in there as well, uh, non diegetic. But like the way the digital captures the candlelight is such like a weird uh, kind of dissonance. Uh, but also just like the big crowd shots that slowly zero in on her mouthing "you asshole" when he says that he yeah. loves his wife. Uh, 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 uh. Also, another another thing that happens in that scene is that the neighbor that Amy had, you know, been fake friends uh, with to establish her neighbor. wonderfully by Casey Wilson. And it is, like, this really plays into, like, kind of, like, the... These are global elites we're dealing with. Yeah. Too, or not global, coastal. Sorry, forgot my terminology for a second. But it is just how much content that Amy has for this woman who just seems to be satisfied living like this upper middle class life and plays into like the, you know what I mean? Like gets riled up by Nancy Grace and mm-hmm. is like more than willing to have uh, children and whatnot. And, you know, she fucking like there's, she's like, I'll find the, you know, the biggest idiot on the block <laughs> and like, I'll you know, I'll exploit her. And it's just, and you know, it's funny. It's like Fincher seems to, you know, share that opinion low key too. And like, you know, that's just adds to kind of like the, the spitefulness of what Amy's doing. And, you know, after the vigil, uh, you know, that that's the point where Affleck completely excommunicates the cops and he's like completely indicted himself at that point yeah. by doing so <laughs> with the scene where he just like smashes his bo- uh, the the glass that he's drinking out of and he's just like I'm not talking to you again about <laughs> the lawyer <laughs> so funny but it's the one two punch of that and then the cops finding her diary burning in his dad's house and then uh, Affleck finding the, the woodshed full of anniversary gifts and then right after that you get the perspective change into Amy and you get her voyage you know through the ocean zarks where she meets that couple and it's just oh man so good you laying it out like that is a very like condensed movie like all the things that happen because not only do we have this little excursion to the backwoods but then we have her retreat to the elite you know what i mean Mm -hmm. to the um you know longtime stalker ex-boyfriend neil patrick harris who it's probably the 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 worst person, not that not in terms of morals, but it's just like the lamest person in this yeah. movie. <laughs> just like I, because um, it's funny, you know, she couldn't cut it, cut it in, you know, the quote unquote real world. So she goes back, you know, with like a 
you know, this like tech billionaire seeming guy who, you know, is have had like a, you know, an entitled uh, obsession with her. And like, you know, he's got this big old house that he just lives in alone. And like, I don't know. I think that's a fun character to play around mm-hmm. with too. I like, I love right when they're about to have sex and like she's mentioning like vacation was like, Ooh, octopus and Scrabble. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so all the things she lists is like positive about him. Like, yeah. Oh, you can quote, Proust in the yeah. original <laughs> French, and it's like such a fucking pussy. Like, yeah, like, and Pike, yeah, Pike just completely plays in with like kind of you know boosting his ego or whatever yeah. in a way that's like so fucking fake. It's like he's he has to be tricking himself into like <laughs> buying this stuff. And I love how also it implicates her as one of the people that feeds into the media craze too. Oh, because it's yeah. like she gets too excited by the coverage and she's just like, oh, I'm just going to get greedy now. You know, like she gets too excited by the coverage on TV and that's when she removes the kill self post-its from her calendar, you know? Yeah. It's like when she's like, oh, this plan's going pretty well, you know? And then she's like, once she retreats to Neil Patrick Harris after she's been robbed by the Ozarks couple, uh, she's just like, yeah, I could do this thing again on the fly. Like I could, yeah. I could frame another man on the, on the fly. I don't need the months of preparation in the diary. He's got these cameras, I, the camera angles of his security system that I can exploit. You know, yeah. I could just take a box cutter to his throat when he's about to fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah, I love that scene where Nick, uh, you know, nails his media outing, basically yeah. <laughs> being like, I did cheat. I did all that. He's the fucking man. I had my fun. Yeah. <laughs> I had my fun, but I'm not a murderer, <laughs> you know? And then, and just, you know, the, the fake compassion he displays and Amy loves it. Amy loves yeah. how he could like play into the media perspective and like, you know, her whole, you know, plan and everything, you know, is inspired by like, you know, how the media you know, covers like a 2020 story, you know, husbands killing wives and how that's too juicy, you know, of a, a thing to pass up for most of the media and like seeing him kind of uh, play into the narrative and like, you know, basically play the essentially starts playing the game that she set out in front of him is yeah. like it's when the movie really clicked for me and, you know, in terms of it's like messaging about that. So, as we said, she takes a box cutter to his throat uh, after Neil Patrick Harris had been sheltering her. And that sequence is insane. Like, just the the quick insert shot, uh, the overhead insert shot of her grabbing the blade from under the pillow lasts maybe half a second and is, like, one of the most impactful shots in the movie for me. And then it's all these shots that fade to black in between each other really quickly of, like, eight different angles of just blood spurting fucking everywhere it's so gory and disgusting and like the the i love the even like the the faking of the the rape yeah or whatever kind of ties into that sequence for me and like kind of like uh you know fincher leaning into the slight eroticism of this it's like oh it's kind of hot that she's planning all you know all this stuff or whatever you know what i mean such a meticulous mind and then like yeah the the imagery of like the blood all over her body and how you know it's like it's sensationalist it is and of course that's the outfit she chooses mm-hmm. when she sews yeah. back up you know a nice blood drenched dress yeah so she does return home uh right after nick is like out on bail after being arrested for murdering <laughs> his wife because they got that much evidence against him uh and i love the shot like there, there are a few amazing shots in that sequence one he 
takes her, you know, into his arms after she drives back up, you know, still completely bloody and everything. And he's just like, you fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like after he says that, she just like drops and it's like that, like uh, the the soldier coming back from World War II painting, you know, or <laughs> photograph rather, uh, the classic V-Day parade picture. And then you get a shot from across the street, the neighbor's house, uh, where the, like half of the frame is like the neighbor's satellite dish. And it's just <laughs> like so perfectly keying into the thematics of the movie. It's like, oh, this is just a cable TV, like a movie about cable TV. TV drama you know no yeah just think i mean this kind of off course a little bit but thinking of like all like the you know like the the 2014-ness of it mm-hmm. the datedness of it I, I do find it amusing when uh um or just not amusing like all the stuff with like the neil patrick harris house and like the advanced security yeah, cams he doesn't have satellite he has roku yeah roku <laughs> that was that i was originally just gonna name drop it's like i love how he's like i got roku you know what I mean? <laughs> But it is like there's even more of that stuff where it's like, um, you know, just kind of like all the universal remotes and how, you know, Pike or Amy, you know, uses, you know, the hyper security to mm-hmm. her advantage. She plays the game in a sense. And just like it's like shot like, I don't know, just like stuff of like Amy watching like Nancy Grace and then like Neil Patrick Harris turning it off being like, you don't want to watch that. <laughs> um, it is just like uh the the focus on that you know really show uh, focus on like how it's a movie about cable television really shines in in that scene and sequences and so the third act you know upon her return is just the most cynical stuff in the movie by far yeah. it's so <laughs> fucked like i i kind of had a problem with it the first time i watched it not because of how cynical it was only because i was kind of put off by the pacing of it like i thought her killing Neil Patrick Harris, that's the climax, and we get like one or two more scenes after, but it like yeah. really goes for a while after that. But I, I love the third act more and more every time <laughs> I watch it because of how cynical it is. You know, you get the interrogation at the hospital where uh, <laughs> Detective Boney is like, wait, but why? You know, she's like clearly catching up on her missteps, but the FBI has taken over the case now. Yeah. And she's just like, I feel myself fading. <laughs> well, yeah. And then like was like would bring up like, you know, the NASA's like, oh, you would have me if it, like a very meanly snaps back at the officer for yeah. asking yeah, she's much. like oh do you should we get back to the rapes now yeah, like, yeah, can yeah. we or, do that yeah or no and it was like if it wasn't up to you I'd still be tied up spread eagle you know really <laughs> yeah. playing into oh. like all the narr- you know the nastiness of it you know the fact I mean the fact that she fakes a pregnancy to like even mm-hmm. up the ante of her coverage is like you know she, you know, of course, she's, you know, media savvy till the, the day she dies. Yeah, and, and I, I love the uh, the uh, uniformed cop who's in the other room with Affleck, like, watching that interrogation. <laughs> and uh, he, he thinks he can, like, score some points with that cop just being, like, you know, poking holes in the story. And he's like, she slit his throat with a box cutter. How'd she manage to get a hole in the box cutter? He had her tied up the whole time. Can't you just be happy your wife is home and safe? <laughs> it keeps this like nasty muddled relationships because I like one scene that I don't think we mentioned is like kind of the like conservative male fear of like the the fake rape thing. I mean that that's Amy... that's completely here. Yeah, yeah no, I mean? that that plays, like, but yeah. like I mean, it's just like it. I think yeah. it engages with both for True, sure because I could see someone being like coming away from this and be like fucking hoes are crazy yeah. yeah but then a woman being like amy's a freaking girl boss for yeah. sure but the way those two mix like it's like right up until the very end there because like the scene 
of like Affleck like fucking slamming yeah, her head yeah, against yeah. the wall, calling her a cunt. Like it's just like that's ugh. Well, it's just in one scene there, there's like the uh just the oh, butting heads. Yeah, both sides of the coin are played in that one scene where he slams her head against the wall because he's so frustrated because she's been back home for a few weeks now and he can't leave her. Like she will not let him leave their marriage. And uh, then she retorts to that with another classic girl boss monologue, the I'm the cunt you married monologue, yeah. Yeah. which is just insane. Like, I God, yeah, I love this movie. You couldn't, yeah, you don't want a non-coastal elite pussy. You don't want no Midwestern yeah. ass fucking <laughs> no Nebraska. No Missouri pussy. Yeah, no fucking Nebraska football ass bitch. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, it is It is funny because it, it, it does play into that cynicism. It's like, you know, you'd be like, well, Affleck didn't hit her. You know what I mean? He's All this stuff's made up. It's like, yeah, but he wanted to, right? And like, <laughs> it, it, it picks, picks up something very nasty where it's like, you know, so what Affleck didn't do all this stuff? It's like he kind of wanted to anyways, and that yeah. that was there. You know what like I mean? Like the scene where he throws her uh, and like she hits her head on the stairs is in her flashback in the diary that she made, you know, yeah. uh, you know, fake. But there's so many things in that diary that are true also mm-hmm. that it kind of bleeds the line. And he says, you know, I never touched her, but it's like, you could easily believe that in that whole scene. You could totally believe from her, you know, them having passionless sex standing up. And as he walks away, <laughs> saying we should go to Outback. tonight." <laughs> Maybe the best line of dialogue in any movie ever. <laughs> it's so great. Cause it is just like very, like very unintimate. Like yeah. just, perfunctory and then it's like let's go to outback yeah just <laughs> and like didn't you say fincher like i thought it was funny because like it said that fincher wrote that line himself and he was like inspired or something he was inspired by the crew just going to outback a lot during the production <laughs> <laughs> he's just like yeah you should just say we should go to outback tonight little inside <laughs> joke yeah they well, were just spending a lot of time at the outback well i was wondering because i thought like maybe that was like his like He's like, yeah. Usually, after I have sex with you know my wife, usually I want to go go to Outback. Or after, I mank, <laughs> after I mank, after I mank, and then I manked her. <laughs> the brand saturation, so good, man. Yeah. The the back to back shots of the Walmart and KFC, both with the find Amy, you know, one eight hundred four Amy tips signs, is so fucking good. And that's another like shot that lasts half a second that is implanted in your brain after you yeah. watch this, like the KFC and Walmart, the KFC <laughs> especially that super imposing low angle on it. It reminds me of like brands tweeting out like, yeah, oh hostess cakes, like here's the suicide hotline. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you're the reason I'm calling the suicide. Out. <laughs> oh God! So we have gone very long on Gone Girl, and I'm sure there's things that we haven't uh, been able to mention. But uh, this is just one of my favorite movies. The te- the digital textures, like really, just in terms of sh- films that are shot on digital, this is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. It's right up there, uh, and one of my favorite films of the last decade or two. And I, I can't say enough good things about it. It's just so cynical and funny and thrilling and maybe one of the best casted movies of all time. True. Like every single fucking character is so perfectly cast. Um, easy five bullets for me. Yeah, five bullets for me as well. I remember seeing this in theaters and kind of just enjoying it on a very like 
base thriller level you know what i mean like i didn't know the twist and the twist i was like oh shit you know what i mean and it's like now the years have passed you know what i mean and i could uh appreciate some of the more intellectual concepts swarming around this movie but also i think that's another thing that makes this movie great and is like a hallmark of like kind of like uh like the type of like great filmmaker Fincher is where he's like a popular per- like people see his movies yeah. you know what i mean and like he's very good at like um you know leading like giving you quote unquote you know not clues but like leaving just enough to make you feel smart for like figuring out what the movie's about you know what i mean that's that's a that's an important thing you know with like this type of movie it's like it's not too obvious but it's like it's it's all there like pretty on on the surfaces you know what i mean just with mm-hmm. like you know going after you know like nancy grace it's like yeah no one really takes nancy grace that seriously but i guess well there's also like millions of people who do watch it you know what yeah. I mean? it seemed, going off of not the hardest targets in the world but like doing it with just straight headshot you know like <laughs> straight center skull precise fincher sat uh you know using special fincher heat seeking bullets to get the direct center of the skull on all this stuff and it is like um you know fincher's a very exact filmmaker and composition and i feel like um in this one it shows up in like the structure of the like it's his most tightly wound movie you know the structure's great and it's it's truly a masterpiece so yeah what do you think jt um i'm gonna take five david fincher heat seeking bullets (laughs) (laughs) and sink them right into the domes of the media class uh, that yes. he eviscerates um, and the true crime goons. Oh, absolutely! The, and the yeah, shot of and the, the shitty bar. husbands and the shitty <laughs> fine. Yeah. But that shot of him driving past the bar, like after its immediate sensation. There's all these people taking selfies oh, outside of God. it. Oh. I mean, the movie's a masterpiece. I mean, from the very beginning, I this time around, it's like you see. I, I think in the opening, there's like a little setup where you see how the recession has sort of ravaged a small town. And it's like, there is a story there, but that's not what the media, that's not what the media is focused in on. That's not what sells. It's the, it's the sensational story and uh, the, uh, the missing woman. And uh, we follow that dirty, uh, dirty little tale. And uh, it's a great time. Yeah, you know, they're saying missing woman. What about the factories? It seems like they've gone missing. Hey, that mall got <laughs> shut down. There's a lot of retail jobs there. Um, extendedclippodcast at gmail.com was where you could email us every week, but no longer. Uh, we have a few this week. Our first one comes from Bennett, and it says, I found where you guys live. No, not Franklin Street. And then it's a picture of a cross-section of Franklin Street and Gay Street. What? So, Whoa! I guess I know where I live. I guess, <laughs> I guess he got it. Fuck! I better keep my head on a swivel. Next one. This is not a question from Joe. Hello, boys. I wrote you around six months ago and asked about your aspirations with regards to making film. At the time I wrote that email to you, I was in a bit of a bad place and struggled to find any motivation to do anything outside of my day job. Your response to my email was actually inspiring. I have subsequently made two short films and I'm planning on making a third in January or February, and it brought me back in touch with friends I hadn't spoken to in a long time. Since I've started listening to your podcast, I've appreciated all the films you've brought to my attention. I started listening in episode nine. But I'll take Respect. what I'll take most is the kick up the arse you gave me all those months ago. I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. 
Well, thank you, Joe. Joe, send some of those That's movies sweet. over. I'd like yeah, to see absolutely. them. That's tight. Yeah. Uh, next one is from William Sinclair. It says, uh, bless you three for the eps, killer run, really the only podcast I listen to. Wow. Uh, bets on how long Neon keeps up the Memoria distribution BS. Thanks again. Cheers from Montreal. Uh, I don't know, but I do know that Neon has bought the rights to Extended Clip and will be playing it uh, at certain theaters, just like one theater at a time, one episode at a time for the next 90 years. Yeah, that they're going to start just playing our stuff as like elevator music, you know, before the <laughs> movies. So, you know, I'm glad we made some money off, out of this after all. And our last one comes to us, and it's a bit of a preview for our actual final episode where some friends of the pod will be calling in. Uh, a letter from a friend of the pod, Emmett, who you might remember from an episode a year and a half ago where we talked about Crumb and La Belle Noiseuse. Emmett's the OG. He put me on. Gotta he give, did. Gotta give love. Emmett is absolutely an OG. And he says, shout out to Extended Clip for keeping it real the past 2.5 years and broadening horizons through insightful and fun programming and conversation. Wish I could have come back on, but unfortunately my skull is filled with deep fried dog turds and I can never get my <laughs> shit together. <laughs> Had I come back on, I would have loved to have spoken about James Benning's landscape suicide alongside a B-movie inspired by one of the same crimes. Thanks again for having me on in 2020 and being one of the only podcasts that I keep in rotation. Emmett. Thank you, Emmett. Yeah, that yeah, was such, that was a very nice email. That seems to be a common theme. A lot of the listeners of the we were the only podcast that <laughs> maybe we to. should have reached out to audience members that listen to other podcasts so they could spread it around. Yeah, but you know, I I, I kind of as you know as things wind down, I kind of like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, it's kind of like the inverse of that thing about uh, that like maximum about the Velvet Underground, where it's yeah. like. Not that many people listen to Extended Clip, but everyone who did also didn't listen to that many podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in a way, isn't that even more underground than Velvet? Yeah. Okay, well, it's been fun. Uh, we'll see you in a few days for our classic, uh, I'm already calling it a classic, going oh, away party oh. year-end podcast end episode. Goodbye. Goodbye. <sighs> Nick uses me for sex when he wants Otherwise, I don't exist. You should put our backs in. That'd be nice.